0: This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In the show today, I'll be running down all of the matches, promos, and results from the most recent event from Falling Star Wrestling. FSW took its first steps into the lovely village of Weston in Lincolnshire to put on a hot, sweaty, and thoroughly entertaining five-match show. How's it going, everyone? My name is Patrick Vincent Crown, a.k.a. PVC. I will be your host for the show today. I'll be joined by Jimmy Starr in the front end of the podcast. But unfortunately, due to technical issues on his end, he couldn't continue onwards. So from the end of match two, it's all me. I hope that's all right with you. FSW Summer Bash starts on Saturday July 1st, which is tomorrow if you're listening at the time of release, and that takes place in Outwell. If you can't make that one, or you're listening to this show after Outwell, well, there are plenty more chances to catch us for some live wrestling action. Saturday, 15th of July, we'll be back home at the Westland Sports and Social Club for another edition of Fight Night. Those shows are always good fun. Then... Two weeks after that, on the 29th of July, we round off the Summer Bash in Sutton St. James. It's another show in the Lincolnshire area, and like Western, we can't wait to see what it's all about and entertain some new fans in the new area. Of course, current fans are more than welcome to attend, too. We love seeing familiar faces at our shows. So that's FSW Summer Bash, 1st, 15th and 29th of July. We'll be making waves in Norfolk and Lincolnshire. We hope to see you there all the information can be found on our social media pages it's at falling style wrestling on facebook and instagram but for now though we've got the show from western to talk about so sit back relax grab yourself a drink and a nibble slip into something comfortable and listen as we chat about fsw in western Falling Star Wrestling made their debut in Weston, which is in Lincolnshire. We had a red hot evening's worth of action, and it was also probably the hottest I've ever been inside of a wrestling ring. Myself and Jimmy, we're here today to talk, review, and just look back on our show at Weston. Jimmy's on the line right about now. Hey, Jimmy, how's it going? Hope you're well. And how do you feel about last Saturday's
0: event in Weston, mate? Yes. I mean, it took a little bit of time to to get going. Obviously, we had to postpone it from a couple of weeks before earlier on in in the month uh, due to some licensing issues. The Hall persevered, FSW persevered, and we managed to put the show on. And I think it was a great success. I mean, the place was packed out. The crowd were pretty raucous. They seemed to enjoy it. We've had some amazing feedback from the people who watched the show. I think we've made some new fans. Some people from other local venues in Lincolnshire were also there and they desperately want us at their venues too. So I think we we made a very good impression, which is fantastic. I think we put on a very solid show and you're right, it was very hot. It was really ridiculously hot. Not only was it hot, I think it was actually hotter in the dressing room than it was in the ring. That dressing room was just unbearable. It was like being in a furnace. It was ridiculous. There wasn't one person in there who wasn't soaked to their underwear with sweat but we're professionals we're hardcore we're wrestlers we're falling star wrestling if it was twice as hot than that we would have still put on a show and on one hell of a show so fair play to the boys for sticking out the heat especially in the dressing room and fair play to the crowd as well they didn't wane that heat was unbearable for them too it must have been sour there watching the show it must have been pretty, pretty pretty hard for them as well but they sat there They cheered, they screamed, they roared, they clapped their hands, they stamped their feet, they shouted, and they really helped with the atmosphere. So I'm really pleased with our first show at Weston, the same as Fosdike. You know, I think they were both equally good shows in quality and worked really well. Really, really, really pleased.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. We loved being there. Great little venue. It was a little bit too hot, but that's not the venue's fault, is it? And if we put on a good show, which I think we did, and if the people of Weston and of course the people that run the hall as well, if they're happy with Falling Star Wrestling and they want us back, we'll be there in a heartbeat because it was just so much fun to play to a new town and go in there and just invade and show what Falling Star Wrestling can really do, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do at the moment. We want to expand We want to expand to new territories and these smaller village hall shows are the way to start. We start in the smaller venues, we build up a decent local following, then we can start doing some of the bigger venues. You can't just suddenly sort of bowl in there and expect to, you know, draw thousands of fans instantly when no one knows who you are. Where We need to get our wrestlers seen, we need to get our wrestlers sort of exposed over in that area. We need people to know who we are and the sort of quality that we bring to to their local areas. That's what we're trying to do at Falling Star and at the moment. If we get known and we get known for bringing over a good product, then in the end, when we book the bigger hauls, they will come because they know that they're going to get one hell of a night. We've proved it in Norfolk with our, obviously all of our shows that we do within the local areas in Norfolk, but also our Lynn Sports shows. We've proved that we can plan spectacular shows and draw big crowds but you just can't walk into a place where you're not known and expect to draw god knows how many fans that's why it's so important that we got danny collins on board and it's so important that we do these little shows build up that good reputation and yeah just continue to put on a decent quality product and you know i think within the next year or two we'll be putting on some really big shows over lincolnshire way and looking to expand even further
1: Damn straight, Jimmy Star. the Falling Star Wrestling expansion has begun. And Weston and Fosdyke are our first sort of stepping stones into the Lincolnshire area. So if you guys are from there, make sure you come out and support Falling Star Wrestling. But Jimmy... Should we jump into reviewing and rating this show from Weston this past weekend? Let's go,
0: yeah, it's all right.
1: All righty, so we opened up our show in Weston with a Danny Boy Collins promo. You mentioned him there, Jimmy. He has become a very good friend to Falling Star Wrestling and an ambassador for us as well. So Danny comes down to the ring and he addresses the packed-out hall in Weston. He says that for the past 40 years, Danny has wrestled all over the world for all of the best companies from the WWEs, to the world of sports and everywhere. And Falling Star Wrestling is the only company that Danny fully endorses and puts his name to. And that was just amazing to hear that. He also said that Falling Star Wrestling, as you said there, Jimmy, has made headway in Norfolk and Danny aims to make a massive dent in Lincolnshire. Danny said that if he could, he would love to lace up his boots, but those days are behind him. Now his aim is to take Falling Star Wrestling to the moon. Danny then tells the audience to let loose and raise the roof for the wrestlers. He finishes off by telling the audience that we do this for the fans. A sort of a typical Danny Boy Collins promo there. He's been doing it at the last couple of shows and it's always great to see Danny out there. He loves to whip the crowd up and it's just great to see Danny Boy in in the ring and you can see and hear the love on his voice, can't you, for professional wrestling?
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he's been involved in the job now for nearly four decades or for four decades or more. He loves professional wrestling, really does believe in the Falling Star product. He's not just going out there and saying that because he gets a check for it. He's going out there and saying it because he genuinely believes in the lads. He genuinely believes in myself. He genuinely believes in in the product. And he's putting his name to it, which is a massive thing and a massive help for us. It's just the least I can do as a thank you to get him out in front of the crowd so he can feel that buzz, so he can feel that energy that's in the room and address the fans that have been, a lot of them have been following him all their lives. And it's a real pleasure to have him on board with Falling Star Wrestling. And what the fans don't see is not only when he's in the ring, he cuts that promo and whips the crowd up and and endorses Falling Star Wrestling, but the bits that the crowd don't see is in that stifling dressing room where everyone was just absolutely sweating their balls off. He could have just got out there and fucked off home or he could have got out there and stood outside and tried to cool down, but he sat there and he spoke to anyone who wanted to speak to him about advice about his matches, just talking about general day-to-day things, talking about his life, talking about his career. He really wants to impart that knowledge on the lads who, who wrestle for Falling Star because he wants to keep British wrestling alive and he's got an idea of the quality of wrestling that he likes to see. And that's a very high standard. So the guys at Fallen Star Wrestling are not just the fans, but the wrestlers are so lucky to have that encyclopedic knowledge that Danny Boy Collins brings to the dressing room. They're so lucky to have him there, for him to sit there as a sort of like Yoda of British wrestling and be able to talk to these guys and anything wrestling-based, anything life-based. Danny's been through a lot in his life. And when it comes to this job, there's hardly anyone about who's got his amount of experience and who wrestled in that era and is actually willing to to talk to people and give them guidance he's so giving with that support so the fans see one side of Danny but we see the other and the other side of Danny is just someone who really wants to help and support us and make sure that the wrestlers in that locker room are the best they can possibly can be so can't thank him enough really
1: Thank you very much, Danny. It's always great to see you and the expansion probably is not going to work without the help and endorsement of Danny Boy Collins. So it's always great to see him in the locker room and you can just see that smile on his face when he's talking to each and every person. Doesn't matter if you've had five minutes in the business, five years or five decades, he will sit there and speak to you about professional wrestling and answer all of your questions and that is just so vital and I'm so gutted I didn't have that much of a chance to sit there and chat to Danny about our match and about how sort of Falling Star Wrestling is sort of progressing and stuff like that. I had other bits and bobs to do but definitely the next time he's down I'm going to be chewing Danny Boy's ear off but uh, Jimmy, should we talk about the matches? Let's go,
0: yeah. we got five corpus to talk about, so yeah, let's crack on.
1: All righty, so we opened up our show in Western with match number one. This was Tommy Lawrence versus Jack Landers. First to come down to the ring for the opening bout is the playmaker, Tommy Lawrence. Tommy grabs the microphone, which is unusual for Tommy. Tommy says that he is better than Jack Landers because he is the playmaker, Tommy Lawrence. The audience, they know who's coming down next as Jack Landers storms down to the ring to excite and wow the Western fans. Jack leaps into the ring with authority and the fans shower Landers with a massive ovation. Let's just say Jack is over. The match kicks off after the ref rings the bell. The Western Village Hall is red hot in more than one way tonight, but the boys in the ring aren't going to let their heat get to them. Tommy takes control early on, wrenching on the arm and the shoulder of Jack, even biting Jack's fingers. Landers leaps up and reverses the hold, but Tommy immediately grabs the ropes to break the hold. Tommy is angered after the audience calls him a chicken. Eventually, the pair lock up again, with both guys trying to game a modicum of momentum. A single leg takes Lawrence down and Jack softens up the leg and inner thigh of Tommy Lawrence. Landers rolls through and takes Lawrence down with a throw, but Tommy doesn't want any more of Landers and grabs the ropes again. Tommy grabs the head, shoots Landers off. The playmaker comes in with a tackle, but Jack then sleeps, leaps, leaps again and nails Tommy Lawrence with a picture-perfect drop kick. Jack then goes up and over with a backflip and spins Tommy around with a snap power slam. That looked awesome. Jack is then thinking about finishing things off, but Tommy wants none of it and gets out of the ring again. Jack then lines up the dive, but Tommy sees it coming with a kick. Tommy then leaps into the ring with a vaulting cutter and Landers is down for the count, but just two. Jack is feeling the pain as Tommy starts systematically working over Jack Landers. The pair then light each other up with chops and Jack's momentum is cut off by Tommy Lawrence and a drop kick. Jack gets the boot up in the corner and with a massive burst of adrenaline hops out of the ring before hopping back in. In with a springboard clothesline. Tommy is then taken down to the mat several times and then Jack Landers lands the running shooting star press. Jack is now fully in control. Jack does get ahead of himself a little bit and is caught with a corner, urinagi. then the split-legged moonsault, a falcon arrow as well, but that cannot put Jack Landers away. It was close, but Jack barely kicks out. Tommy tries to finish off Landers, but Jack slips out and crushes Tommy into the mat with his pump handle driver and seals the victory in this opening contest. Now, Jimmy Starr, before I go into my thoughts, I'll throw this one over to you. What did you think to Landers versus Lawrence?
0: I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good opener. And again, you can't get over how hot it was in that venue. And those guys really didn't stop. They gave what I thought was a was a, was a sort of perfect opener. There was definite heel, definite baby face, lots of action. They both looked superb. Physically, they're both specimens, both big, tall, muscular lads. They can do anything. Their skill set is 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 pretty much un, unmatched. And go as far as say with Jack Landers, his skill set is pretty much unmatched in this country. It's just when you actually stand next to the guy and realize how big he is. He's about six one, six two. He's jacked, and so is Tommy Lawrence. And they're flying around that wrestling ring like they should. They should be five foot six. They're doing some amazing stuff. But again, the one thing that I think that was maybe eluding tommy definitely and not so much jack but definitely tommy was that character work he was always ever since he's been involved in falling star wrestling his work has always been very good he's always been very solid but to me it was always difficult to know what to do with him because there wasn't too much definition in the character that's totally changed his character work has come on leaps and bounds as a heel he's really good surprisingly good he's got a character that you can sort of sink your teeth into I like the whole playmaker thing. His confidence just seems to have come along so much. So as good as Jack was and as good as Jack always is, I was really sort of surprised at Tommy because, like I say, it's not that I've ever doubted his skill set or doubted his look or anything like that. There was just a little bit missing for me in his character work, but not anymore. It's there. All the pieces are together. It's just a case of him, him getting in the ring, keep working, keep getting his reps in keep working people that are the same skill set of him, better than him, worse than him. He's going to learn from every match that he does going forward. He works regularly for other people. He always looks great. And again, that's the sort of thing that promoters want. So hugely impressive. And going back to Jack, yeah, I'm not just saying this because he sort of came through the Falling Star Wrestling ranks, but i failed to see too many athletes, too many wrestlers in, this, in the country at the moment who can hold a candle to him. He takes the job very, very seriously. He wants this to be his full-time career he wants this to be his job and he's putting everything he has into it so as for the match I thought it was very good it was an opening match it did exactly what an opening match should do it warmed the crowd up but not that they needed warming up it was like a fucking toaster in there but you know actually physically warmed them up vocally they were ready and they were on board with it and like you said Jack is super over so when you got that pinfall Um, and he won the match, the crowd were really with it. So I was really pleased with it as an opening contest and just really pleased to see Tommy in particular, how much his character has developed.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a great match, especially a great match to kick off Western as well. And not only was it a great athletic high octane match to get the audience pumped for the rest of the event, they also thought about the crowd and how to keep them involved throughout the match as well, which I really liked. And I thought they blended that element of things nicely, but both selling out to the audience and also kind of performing those really cool moves too. So I thought it had a little bit for everybody. Those that like to cheer their favorites, boo the heels, or some people that like to watch and pop for some high spots. I thought it had it all. I did think the pair went a little short, but other than that, I thought it was a great match. And knowing sort of what was coming next, I thought they played it smart. They knew what was going to happen in the main event. They didn't go overboard. They didn't kill the audience right away. They played it really smart and they probably also went really short because it was just so bloody hot out there on Saturday. It was insane how hot it was, but how hard these guys worked. I'm sure they couldn't have given any more without just losing all of their liquid and fluid in their bodies due to just sweat. Because I remember Jack coming back through the curtain and he was just glistening. I was like, Jack, is that like baby oil? He's like, no, it was sweat. It was Horrible, but I'm sure as a promoter, Jimmy, you'd probably rather them go shorter and have a really nice, concise, well executed match than go out there and do over the time that they were allotted. So I thought they did really good. And like you said there, Jimmy, I agree with you. I think Tommy's starting to come into his own as a heel now. I feel like before he wasn't quite sure who and what he wanted to be. I mean, Was it a nasty, vicious heel? Was he trying to be brash and arrogant? I don't think we knew. I don't think he knew. I think he was still figuring things out, which is fine. But I do feel that now he's getting out there. He's working heel in other places. He's worked more heel in Falling Star Wrestling now. He's starting to kind of get into his own, which is sort of this over-the-top cocky, confident heel and it's the kind of heel that people just want to punch and it's A, because he's quite annoying and he's stupidly cocky, but then B, he kind of backs some of that up as well, which I think also makes people and me hate him even more. When somebody goes out there and says they can do something and then they do it and then they look at you like, <laughs> I told you I could do this." It's like, oh, I just want to punch you. And that's a really thin line to work because if you become too entertaining as a heel and pulling off all these awesome moves and these great matches, I think people will start to gravitate towards you. But I think Tommy did enough in this match for that not to happen. Plus he was going up against somebody that the Falling Star Wrestling audience love. Of course, Jack Landers. And Jack's been away for the past two or three shows. And I think we've definitely missed him. So I think it was great to have him back. He was super over. People were popping for all of his stuff. I think just some of the stuff he does out there is incredible. And when the people see it, they're just like, I can't believe what I have just saw. So to sum up this match, it was a solid sweaty, and a compelling affair, which took place over like 11 minutes bell to bell. And it was just a pleasure to watch. A nice competitive match for both guys. I don't think it really hurt Tommy too much losing, even though he did lose. I don't think it hurt him. Jack did an excellent job selling all of Tommy's stuff and making Tommy look good. And
0: Tommy did that in return as well. It was great stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, And like you say, regardless of whether it went a touch short, because obviously this was only a five-match guard, there's a few reasons that, that we obviously wanted people to go a little bit longer. One, because of the five match card, but two, sassy, who was in the third match, hadn't actually arrived at the venue because he, he he was on another show, he had a bit of a problem with traffic. So as we were going out for our ne- next match, for our match rather, sorry, we didn't know whether Sassy was going to be there in time for his three-way limitless title match, you know, which is obviously we need to try and kill a little bit of time to to make sure that he arrives. And that's so that's why our match went on for quite some time. We needed to kill that time, but yeah, that, that was why time was of a little bit of the little bit of a more of an importance factor with this particular show. Not so much with the fact that there was only five matches because we can still get a two hour show out of five matches, it was the fact that one of the wrestlers wasn't there. Who, you know, that's pretty important when their match is up third. But we had six people in our match, they had two we can kill some time. That was absolutely fine. And that's what we did. Good stuff. So
1: match number two was a six man tag team match. We had the WWE Wakefield's wrestling empire, which consists of Sean Stone and Robbie Lewis with Samuel bloody Wakefield on the outside and their partner for the evening. One half of the tag team champions, the sound Bobby Adams versus the disaster Artist. That's me and you, Jimmy. And we had a special little trick up our sleeve in the form of the creature from the swamp, Crowley and first to come to the ring is the team of Wakefield's Wrestling Empire, led by Samuel Wakefield himself. Wakefield grabs the microphone and gets showered with abuse before finally figuring out how to use the microphone. Sam then calls the audience at Weston a bunch of mutants. I quite like that line, I thought it was good, and says he can't wait to get back to Sunny Essex. I mean it's pretty sunny in Weston as well. Wakefield says that revenge is the name of the game tonight. Only Mrs. Wakefield gets to pull down the little red shorts. The audience then chant in unison, BORING! BORING! Samuel then introduces their teammate for the evening, the hired gun, Bobby Adams. Next, Jimmy Starr and PVC reveal themselves, not literally, to the audience at Weston and come down to a pleasant applause. Jimmy then introduces our partner for the evening, who is the meanest toughest, nastiest, dirtiest, craziest, sweatiest, hairiest, insane creature from the swamp. Crowley, out comes Crowley to make this match a three on three. Now in the match, PVC, that's me, and Stone start the match. Crowley grabs the shirt of Sean Stone and rubs it where the sun doesn't shine, which in this heat is not going to be something you want to wear without washing. Stone and I lock up with Stone taking me back to the ropes and grabbing my hair. I turn the tables and Stone claims I pulled his hair. Not very likely. I roll through a snapmare and headbutt Stone in the gut. I run. He sleeps and leaps. And I catch him with a Manhattan drop right onto the gonads. Jimmy then comes into the fray and we double team Stone and do a double atomic drop. Stone is then kicked up the ass and falls out of the ring unceremoniously. Lewis then gets tagged into the match with Jimmy. They lock up. Jim takes the head. Lewis shoots off Star and Star takes down Robbie with a tackle and then claims the head once again. Same again. Lewis goes tumbling down. This time, Robbie grabs the hair and grabs a headlock of his own. Jimmy shoots off Robbie, who tries to take down Jimmy, but Jim bounces off the ropes and takes Lewis down for a third time, a fourth time if you count the clothesline as well. Jimmy calls for the star KO, but Robbie grabs the eyeballs of Jimmy star and the numbers game then comes into full effect as all members of the Empire and Adams work over Jimmy behind the referee's back. After being worked over, Jim ducks a line and lands a high crossbody on Robbie and makes the Tag to Crowley. In comes Adams on the other side, who's caught by trapping headbutts and is taken on an airplane ride by the swamp creature. Adams's head is then bounced off the top turnbuckle and Crowley is firing on all cylinders. Wakefield on the outside provides the distraction and Bobby comes in and rakes the eyes of Crowley. Quick and frequent tags are made by the team of the WWE and Adams as Crowley is fading away, trying desperately to get that tag. Crowley is sent into the buckle hard and Lewis comes in for a splash, but Crowley moves out of the way. In comes Adams to cut off Crowley, but he's caught with a spine on the pine. We're building up. The crowd is gagging for it. The hot tag is made. In I come. Line for Stone. Forearm for Lewis. Elbow for Stone. Then a running corner attack. The whip is reversed but Stone runs into my boot and then I nail a leaping bulldog. This only gets the two count. Jim and I then send Stone into the corner. Jim lands a forearm. I jump off Jimmy's back with a splash and Crowley follows up with a devastating cannonball on Stone who is slumped in the corner. We start to sell out to the crowd. Wakefield then douses Stone in water and manages to get Stone to dump Jimmy out of the ring as Stone turns around. I attempt a side effect, but the combination of water, the sweat and the heat got the better of us and Stone just slipped out of my grasp and just fell on the floor. So I guess on instinct and knowing that this was sort of my shotgun, this was my time to shine, I just leapt in the air and drilled Sean Stone with an elbow drop, trying my best to save this little segment. I immediately get up, run into Lewis, who gives me a front slam. Lewis's head then gets kneed off of his face by Crowley, then in slips Adams with a leg sweep, then the Shining Wizard on the Swamp Beast. Lastly, Jimmy comes in with a star KO on Adams, but Bobby Adams kicks out in the nick of time. We then line up the burial. That's the Codebreaker German, by i pulled out of the ring and bundled to the floor by the WWE. Adams then pushes Jimmy towards Wakefield, who clocks Jimmy on the head with the briefcase, and then Bobby Adams rolls up Jimmy to seal the victory for His team now, Jimmy. Tell me your thoughts on this match. I'm sad that we lost, but it wasn't a bad match, right? I
0: thought it was pretty good. I mean, we there was, I think the promos at the start were okay. Had to sort of surprise Wakefield before we went out and go, Look, can you cut a promo, please? Just kill some time. Sassy's not here yet, so that promo was just sprung on him again for someone who hasn't had a great deal of experience. That's quite a frightening thing to do. So I think he handled the situation quite well. I think that when the crowd are shouting at you and calling your names and whatnot, you might as well just sit there and absorb it. Take the heat. Don't try and interrupt them. Just just enjoy it. You're a heel. People are meant to be shouting at you and abusing you and calling your names. And if they're doing it and you don't have to say anything, then great. Just wait for it all to peter out and then say something that will make them shout more abuse at you. That was cool. We came out. We cut a bit of a promo. I think that went well just basically sort of trying to extend time, but trying not to make it too boring or too obvious. That was what we were doing. The actual match itself, I thought aside from, like you said, your side effect, which was just, I mean, fuck it. It was wet. It was slippy. It was horrible. That was just one of those things. Apart from that particular thing, I thought that was probably the best match that we've had with the WWE. And obviously Bobby and Crowley really did their bits well too. So it was actually, I thought quite a good match. The, The hot tag was really hot. We got them at the right time. The spine buster into the tag, that really worked nicely. The shotgun finishes worked pretty well. The finish was quite nice. I mean, obviously, I got cheated out and he decked with the briefcase. That's a, a, a good out. It's not like they beat us convincingly. We were on a bit of a roll. We were doing okay. We probably would have won if that wouldn't have happened, that sort of story. So I think just by keeping it simple, basic, you know, shines, heat, shine, and just speeding the pace up when we needed to. I think it was I think it was actually a pretty good match and it was long, but it needed to be out of necessity. We would have probably cut it about five minutes at the very least if we didn't have to go long. But I don't think, it. even though we went long, I don't think it felt like it dragged too much. It, with Sean and with Robbie, I think they were lots better than they were at, at West End. I think it was sort of, like I said, the best connection we've had with them. They seem to be there for what they needed to be there for sean's bumping and feeding was nice robbie seemed to be connecting nice and solidly with his strikes and whatnot the only thing i will say with robbie which i said to him backstage was about his bumps you know just to try and when he does take a bumps like my tackles my clotheslines is to try and snap them back a bit i mean aside from the aesthetics of it looking better in the end you're going to hurt yourself if i knock you down the crowd aren't looking for a decent bump if i give you a clothesline and the bump isn't particularly great and you're not landing particularly well I still knock you down, so it still gets me over. But after, if you're falling on your hips and your elbows and whiplashing your neck and all that sort of stuff, rather than taking a flat back bump, it's more of a sort of safety thing. So tidying those bumps up is a bit of feedback that I'd give on a sort of technical level. But as a structure of a match, which was necessarily long because of, like I say, waiting for Sassy to turn up and knowing that he was there, I think we sort of filled the time fairly well, made it pretty exciting, but also didn't sort of, Outshine any anyone with it being the second match. The second matches are normally sort of popcorn filler type matches or whatever. But I don't think we did anything too groundbreaking. But I think what we did, we did well, and it was a good match. And it, it, I think it, it did its job. And. had a nice little flow and a nice little finish to it, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. I had fun. I mean, was the match a five-star classic? Not really, but I don't think you can say it wasn't fun. I mean, you had sort of four of the most hated guys in Falling Star Wrestling out there trying to do their very best to annoy and wind the crowd up. And then on the other hand, you sort of had three beloved FSW wrestlers who know how to work a crowd. So how was it ever not going to be fun? And as we alluded to, Jack and Tommy went a little bit short and with a five match card, we had Wakefield go out there to fill the gap, which I thought he did great considering you sprung it on him at the last minute as he was literally leaving to go to the ring. You were like, do a promo. I I love the inclusion of the word mutant. I thought it was great. You don't hear that very often as a kind of an offensive word, but it's not too, it's kind of a PG kind of word. And I think it works. Then, you know, accompanying Wakefield was his boys with the addition of Bobby Adams, who kind of felt like he belonged in the empire. But I have been told on strict instructions that Bobby Adams is not a member of the empire. He was simply a hired goon for the night and his heart lies only with George Rashwood. So I just had to put it out there as a disclaimer. And then on the opposite side, I thought Crowley looked like he integrated pretty well with us too. So it seemed like nothing was out of place. It didn't seem like They were just kind of put together teams. Like, we all kind of gelled pretty well together. And like last time at West Lynn, you mentioned it there, the match wasn't super complicated. We tried to play to everybody's strengths, and that worked out really nicely. And the issues that I felt that we had with our match against the WWE at West Lynn, I thought were pretty much gone this time around, which means we either created a better match or the WWE boys are learning. And I'd like to think it's the latter, And all seven of us, plus the referee, put in a nice little shift whilst working in a ring that felt like being on the surface of the sun. It was bloody hot. And on a personal note, I was mostly happy with everything that I did in the ring. I worked Sean Stone for probably 99.9% of the match. I think I only touched Robbie on the other side when he picked me up for a front slam. And Obviously, we have to mention the spot that springs to mind. It was the side effect spot, <laughs> and it was it was almost a recreation from that last show. Like me and Sean have got this thing. It's like right, we do that, duck the line, blah blah blah. He throws the line, I duck under, hook in the side effect, we go down, we go up, and I slam him on his back. Last time, I thought we nailed the timing, but for some reason, I sort of turned that side effect into a bookend or a rock bomb. I don't think that matters because he went up and he went down. It looked like I slammed him. This time, there was sweat. Water or whatever fluids were flowing around that ring stone throws the line. I duck I hook in the side effect I go down stone also goes down But instead of coming up to jump up for the bump He just slips away to the floor and looking back at it if you... I've seen the footage and it's brilliant. If you added like a cartoony, like slipping sound effect, it would just totally match what you're seeing on screen. It was hilarious. I watched it back several times. And it's that one of those things that it felt like he slipped out of my grasp and fell on the floor. And it felt like an age that I was just like staring down at my feet, just lying there, slipping away out of my grasp. And I just had this moment. I was like, this is the beginning of what is meant to be shotgun finishes. It should be like... Boom, bam, boom, bam, boom, move. So I was just like, oh, I can't let it be this. I can't let him just slip out of there. Then I turn around and get clocked by Robbie. So I was like, right, okay, I'm just going to jump on him. Big elbow drop. And looking back at it, I was actually quite proud of that elbow drop. I thought it looked quite good. So I think I might actually start introducing it into my moveset as well. So, you know, from a little slippery mistake, hopefully might come a positive other than that, I felt the timing was there. The flow of the match felt a lot smoother. And just in general, I thought it was a better outing for both the Disaster Arts and WWE, helped on by their third men, Crowley and Adams on the outside, who complimented things really, really nicely. And like you said there, Jim, the hot tag got the pop, which we were working towards. The falsies worked. The moody tag stuff worked too. So I don't really have any complaints and even though there were more of us in the match compared to last time, it was just the four of us. This time it's six. The ring felt bigger. There wasn't that kind of confusion. And I didn't feel like I was bumping into people. There's more room to do moves. So well done to everyone in the match involved. And yeah, I had fun. It was cool. That
0: yeah, was good fun. Yeah. And the elbow drop was quite thinking for you. But yeah, every, like you were saying, there, there was more room in the ring. And that's because people took the feedback from last time. Sometimes just do your shit and get the fuck out of the way. Do you know what I mean? And then bang, the ring's clear for the next person to do their thing. So, yeah, the whole match just felt a lot easier. We keep mentioning it, and I'm sure we'll mention it again. Aside from the sweltering heat, the the match was felt a lot easier to do.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I do apologise. Jimmy Starr is having technical issues. If we can get him back on the line, we will jump back into the review. But Jimmy was just going to round up by saying... I'm not speaking his words here. I think he rather enjoyed our match that we had here at Weston. And speaking of matches at Weston, we went into our third match for the evening. This was the much-talked-about Limitless Championship match. It was supposed to be a three-way match. And as I was leaving to go out for our match, the Sassy Bear Clarence was not there. So I was kind of intrigued to see when we came back through the curtain, there was a sassy bear there. Otherwise, it was just going to be a one-on-one match featuring Furio and Oli Cole, and I'm sure they would have covered it, but it was much better to see the sassy bear Clarence there. So let's get into the match. Furio, he's going to be facing two challenges on this hot, blistering evening. The first of those come down to the ring to pry the Limitless Championship from Furio is Lightning Ollie Cole. This is probably Ollie's best chance to capture his first championship in Falling Star Wrestling. All he has to do is pin or submit either Clarence or Furio. So Clarence comes out next to a massive applause. The crowd erupt. They get to their feet. They start swaying their hands in the air. Everybody loves the sassy bear Clarence. Then third and finally is our champion, furio he comes down to the ring with his dark demented demeanor furio sits in the corner and looks at his championship possibly for the last time. He tosses it to the referee who gets this match underway. One fall to a finish and anyone can pin anyone and claim the prize here at Weston. Sassy starts things off by getting into the head of Furio and Ollie by planting smooches right on their lips. This causes Furo to lose his mind and try to attack Ollie, who manages to pick the leg and take Furo down with a springboard arm drag, a drop kick and then a head scissor to Sassy. Ollie Cole follows up with a few running corner attacks, but on the third time, Sassy evades and comes back with a crushing clothesline to Oli Cole. Furio sends Sassy to the outside with a reverse enziguri, and then Furio starts to pick apart young Oli Cole with chops and strikes, even going low on Oli Cole. But as this is a triple threat match, there is technically No disqualifications in this match. Furo lands Cole on his brain with a brain buster, and Clarence has to break up the fall to save the match. Strangely, though... Furio and Cole team up to take on Sassy to try and take the big man down, but the buckle attempt is countered as Sassy performs his springboard double back elbow on both Furio and Ollie Cole. Furio inadvertently helps out Sassy by hoisting Cole up onto Clarence's shoulders, who powerbombs Cole through the mat. This gets the two count. Ollie then counters the next attempt and Hurakarana Sassy into the 619 position. Furio strides in and gets caught as well. It looks like Ollie is Is going to try a two-for-one offer, may I say? A two times 619, a 1,238, perhaps? He nails both opponents. Cole then soars off of the top rope with a frog splash, but it's not enough to put the sassy bear away. In close frame, Furio is scuffling around under the ring, trying to grab something to gain an advantage. We can't see what it is, but we certainly know what tricks Furio has up his sleeves or dare I say it, in his mouth. In the ring, Clarence nails the sassy slam and goes for the cover, but Furio slides in and spits the mist right into the eyes of the sassy bear, blinding him and leaving Ollie Cole's corpse for the picking. While Furio gloats, Cole gets to his feet and tries to superkick some life into the undead vampire, but this barely does anything. A flinch At most, Furo just grabs Ollie's head and drives it into the mat with a gigantic Impaler DDT and a kick to the head, which finishes off Ollie, Cole, and Still your limitless champion, Furio. Post-match, Furio tries to take advantage of a wounded Ollie Cole, but Sassy comes in to make the save and chases the vampire away as Furio tries to grab his belt and leave. Sassy just pops a toe on the belt and looks Furio in the eyes and says, that belt is coming around the waist of the Sassy bear. Angered, Furio leaves and that finishes our first half's action at Weston, and I'll go straight into my thoughts and feelings about this match. And again, I think we're nailing it. Three for three. I thought this was another decent match. Out of all the matches that we had here tonight, I have to admit, I was a little bit worried about this one. And it's not because we had Oli Cole in there, who, while very talented, is still very green, but... We mentioned it as this match was booked. It was intended to be a triple threat match. But for most of the day, and even up to when I left to go out to the ring for our match, there was not a sassy bear in sight. So all things considered... This was a cool little affair, and I think they really pulled it off. Now, if they were given a little bit more time to smooth out a few of the cracks, it could have been even better. But I don't think there was anything really to moan about. Each person has their own character, and in the time that they had, they all got their characters over. Furio, of course, playing his usual dark, moody, but nasty, vampiric character. or well, the sassy bear is just gyrating and acting flamboyant as all hell. And then you got Ollie, who's just this sort of plucky underdog in real life. He showed his pluckiness and that underdogness in this match, and that came through by the amount of applause and chants that he was getting from the audience. There was nothing wrong with the match. There's always things that can be improved. You know, there were some nice three-way moves in it, and that's hard to do in a three-way match to keep it there. There wasn't too much of that one-in, one-out type thing, and I thought they kept the pace really rapid, which I think helped things too. It made it feel quite a pacey match. I really like the story of Sassy almost clinching the win with that running power slam on Ollie, and then Furio just oh, coming in at the last minute to spit that mist in the face of Clarence. That was a great way to protect Clarence, but also a really cool way for Furio to pick up that dastardly, but also cheeky win. I really liked the elevated impaler from Furio. That looked nuts. Clearly, there was some over-rotation on the move, but it looked impressive nonetheless and safe as well. I don't know if it was just a case of people slipping around in the middle of the ring, whether it was just no rotation, but Furio... I would trust him to do that move on me any day. And Sassy, I thought, provided a really great base for both Furio and Ollie, and was there for everything and also got his own stuff in as well. And that was cool. And I'm so happy to see that killer side from Furio again this week. I much prefer that side to him than the one that's kind of selling and giving too much to people. I like it when he's dark and mysterious and brooding and will just do anything to win. But he also has the air of just like, I don't even care if I win or lose just as long as I keep the belt and I get to hurt someone tonight. That's the furio that I enjoy. I really like that furio and it was great to see him back on Saturday. Ollie, of course, is improving each and every time we see him in the ring and the audience really like him. His selling is good. He gets good sympathy. And the more we talk about him here on the podcast, there are less and less things that I can pick up in his work. His pacing is getting much better. His timing is getting so much better, too. He just sometimes comes across as a little bit manic That can also be translated into energy. I don't want him to lose that energy. It's always good for a plucky underdog babyface to have energy, but I feel like you have to learn how to control it and how to harness it. And he'll get there, I'm sure he will, with time, effort, and practice. I'm just going to say, Ollie's probably going to be a main player in Falling Star Wrestling. He is that good. Finally, you've got Sassy. He is your number one contender. And he's going to be taking on Furio this weekend as releasing this podcast in Outwell, July 1st, 2023. I've got a couple of things for you, Sassy. Try to avoid that mist at all costs. If you can, you can stand a really good chance of winning and bringing home that Limitless Championship. I don't know. I'm just going to put it out there. Maybe bring like a Rain Mac or or like some snorkeling goggles or something like that, because you know what Furio is about, you know what he can do, and that's not the first time that you've had that Furio poison mist in your eyes, is it? So learn from it, try to counter it. And then you just pick him up on your shoulders. You slam him into the buckle. You slam him through the mat. And we could be seeing a brand new FSW Limitless Champion in the Sassy Bear Clarence. But that remains to be seen. We'll find out what happens on Saturday, 1st of July in Outwell. Make sure you get your tickets and come down to that show. So we went into the interval after that match. We needed to catch our breath. I think every person in the Western Village Hall promptly got to their feet and went outside because it was slightly cooler outside. Went to the bar, got some refreshments and just generally let the steam off for a little bit for 15, 20 minutes, cooled down, ready for the second half to open up the second half's action. We are graced with British wrestling royalty in the form of the Bulk and Big Dave. Now, I fear for their opponents this evening as the Pitbulls, they look hot, sweaty, angry, and ready to just tear some limbs off of whoever they are facing tonight. The music of the BCB hits, and Toby Lyons comes down to the ringside alone. Of course, his tag team partner, Danny Fear, is currently in the ring in his MCing gear. So, you know what comes next. The audience, they're already chanting, get them off, get them off to Danny. Toby jumps into the ring and off come the trousers as the BCB are in for an interesting evening in the ring. The BCB, they play rock, paper, scissors to see which one basically is going to be killed first. The first lamb to the slaughter is is unfortunately Toby, who flexes in front of Big Dave, who is a legitimate strong man with some big old muscles. Toby is just looking like a piece of string that you tie around a suckling pig. Basically, they do a pose off. Dave has had enough, and so has Bulk. Bulk just grabs Toby and throws him across the ring with ease. Bulk then has a change of heart and doesn't cave in Toby's chest. And as he turns around, Toby tries for the waist lock. Not sure he quite got his arms all the way around Bulk's waist. He then runs under the Bulk and then runs into Bulk's big old ham bone of an arm, smashing Toby across the face. And it could be all over right about now, but Toby does the smart thing and he tags in the fresh tag team partner, Danny Fear, who goes toe to toe with Big Dave, who's just been tagged in? Danny puts. His hand up for a test of strength as Dave goes for the arm. Danny switches and he does this until both Danny and Dave are doing some Saturday Night Fever dance. And then only when Bulk screams Dave's name, Dave kind of snaps out of it. That was a cool little moment. (laughs) You don't often see Dave in the middle of the ring kind of dancing Saturday Night Fever style. Then the knuckle lock is applied after Danny gets scared because Dave just growls at him. But Danny, he will not give up. Danny doesn't quit. And Dave even uses one hand to take on Danny who just cannot compare. Danny is then bundled to the floor and then squeezed into a full Nelson. He uses his butt to evade. He does very well there. Danny goes for the sunset flip, but Dave stands strong as Dave reels back that big fist trying to punch Danny. Danny moves out of the way and Dave just punches the ground. The BCB then work over Dave's arm, taking turns to jump off the middle rope to perform an axe handle on Dave's arm. This doesn't last long, though, as Dave gets back in control pretty quickly. Dave passes Toby's arm to who rings the arm over his shoulder repeatedly. He does this again. Then on the third time, Toby switches it and then puts Dave's arm over Bulk's shoulder. And Bulk, without looking, grabs Dave's arm and then starts smashing it on his shoulder. This was great. A cool little moment there. Bulk realizes whose arm he's got and then turns to Dave. Toby then tries to mount a comeback on Dave, grabbing that arm and getting Danny in to help him work it over. Several headbutts then take Danny down to the mat. Then the bulk lights up Danny's chest with a giant chop. I don't know how Danny's heart is still beating right about now. That looked insane. Danny then bounces off of the ropes, tries to gain some momentum, attempts a crossbody on the bulk, but just bounces off the bulk's large mass and just falls to the ground, crumbling down. That was a cool little spot there. After taking a bit of a beating, Danny nails a desperation chin breaker. Then he leaps off the middle rope with a couple of more axe handle smashes on Dave, but then Dave catches Danny and looks to demolish him. But Danny evades and gets the tag to his partner, Toby. Toby, and Danny then try to take Dave down with a few kicks and then the tandem bulldog. But as they get ahead of themselves, they start celebrating. Dave just pops up like the undertaker and takes both Danny and Toby down with stereo clotheslines, flattening the BCB. The BCB are then pushed into the corner. Toby first, then Danny, then Dave, then Bulk. Ouch. Ouch. Then poor Toby is then squished and slammed with a double choke slam. And then, just to finish it all off, the bulk does a standing splash. The UK Pitbulls pick up the win here in this fourth match at Western. And there's a few things that you don't kick out of. And one of those is a bulk standing splash that looked very impressive. And if the people out there haven't seen what the bulk looks like, You've got to Google him. You've got to find out what he looks like. He is a giant planet of a man, and he will just crush you. Nonetheless, I have some thoughts on this match. And one of those thoughts is, the match made me smile. And that was cool, and that's what it was built to do. As much as you think that the BCB versus the UKP sounds like a match that wouldn't work because there's just such a massive size difference, but that reason is precisely why it did work. You've got the lovable rogues in Danny and Toby versus Europe's heaviest tag team in the Balkan, Dave. I mean, what can go wrong? I mean, loads, but with a story like that and an audience actually really wanting the BCB to survive... I thought it was a great little affair. I loved that visual of Toby posing in front of Dave. There was just a massive size difference there. I thought that looks great. It was a really cool comedy spot. It fits so well with Toby's character. Then, of course, Danny. He's up to his usual tricks again as well. Also throwing in some nice spots too. I love that spot when Danny tries for the crossbody on the bulk and just bounced off. That was a well-timed comedic angle. And of course, like on the flip side, even though the UK pitbulls are big old nasty boys, I think they actually can do comedy pretty well too. They've got really great timing. And I mean, if there was a small nitpick, and I mean, that's unlike me, isn't it? To, uh, to nitpick on matches here on the podcast, it would be that the BCB did the same move a few too many times. I mean, at the beginning, when they gained control of Dave's arm and they were working, tagging in and tagging out, leaping off that middle rope with the axe handle, that was great, it looked cool, it was believable. I just don't think they should have gone back to that. I don't know whether they were lost or there was a slight bit of miscommunication. I don't know, I wasn't there. I mean, it wasn't bad. It definitely wasn't bad. It was just something that we'd seen before. So as exciting as it was first, in wrestling, it's always important to build upon the last thing you did because doing the same thing or something less than before is a bit of a mood and kind of momentum killer. And that's how that spot felt a little bit to me. It wasn't bad. It just kind of made me sort of step back a little bit. And I think it was the same for the fans too because you could really hear them pumping and getting into it the first time they did it. Then the next few times, it was like, okay, yeah, we've seen that. It's fine. And I have to say, well done to Toby for getting in there and taking his licks. The poor lad got smashed up by the UKP from one corner to the other. But he took them all with a smile and, of course, a grimace. I might suggest working on your bumps a little bit, tidying them up. I think when you're getting double slam by the pit bulls, you kind of have to take whatever bump you're given, really. But, you know, a few of those clotheslines and stuff like that, just really tighten them up. Like Jimmy was saying earlier about Robbie Lewis, you just got to snap those bumps and it makes it look really impressive. And you're going you're gonna to save yourself in the long run as well. And it's not often that I really want to see a rematch in Falling Star Wrestling, but I actually think there's room for these two teams to grow. And I think with a few funny ideas, I reckon the BCB could do some really funny stuff with the pit bulls. Like, Danny, think about how you managed to beat Jimmy that one time. That's something you could go back to, especially at a Wesleyan. If you went up against the pit bulls at a Wesleyan, you could go back to that one more time. Because when we wrestled you guys that time, when I was injured and we had to get through the tournament, like, people were gagging for us to take shots. So I think if you called back to that again, I think people would go crazy. Also, here's another tip for you, Danny and Toby, of course. Go back and watch an event from Rise. They're a company up north. They do a lot of the hardcore stuff, but they also did this rumble, and Bulk was a part of it a few years back. And I'll just say, fishing rod and a bucket of chicken, I mean, you could really, really kill, especially in a West setting. Go back and watch that match. That was a cool spot. And I'm not saying copy, I'm just saying take inspiration from that type of thing. Going back to the match, it was a match for the people in attendance and I actually think people really enjoyed it. The Pitbulls were really giving to the BCB and actually worked their style, which I think is really good of them and it made the match even better as well. So, all in all, good funny stuff. Not technically the best match, but I thought it worked because everybody knew their roles and they played their roles perfectly. So, good stuff, boys. And before I start waffling on more about that match and how cool it was, I think we need to get into the main event of the evening. This was billed a couple weeks beforehand because we had Jaden Scar win the King of the Ring tournament, which meant he... Become the number one contender for the Falling Star Wrestling Championship. And the last time we were at West Lynn, Cali Grey wasn't around and Jaden Scar was calling out the champion. The champion says, Yes, okay, Jaden, me and you, Falling Star Wrestling Championship, Western Village Hall, let's do it. So, the main event tonight features the recent King of the Ring winner, Jaden Scar, cashing in his chance against Cali Grey. Jaden Scar has been undefeatable over the last six months. But tonight, I think he faces his toughest test to date, the Falling Star Wrestling Champion, the Black Rose, Cali Gray. Scar comes down to the ring. He looks focused and ready to tear apart our champion, Jaden, of course, a former two-time Falling Star Wrestling champion, so this belt is not unfamiliar to him. The King, Jaden tries to get the audience to stand to attention for the King, but they refuse and reply by calling Jaden a Muppet. Next, out comes the champion, Callie Gray. He looks poised and ready to give it all tonight and defend the thing that means the most to him right about now, the Falling Star Wrestling Championship. After the referee shows what's on offer, that championship belt, and Danny finishes off introducing the combatants for the bout, the match kicks off. The audience at Weston are out in full force for Cali Gray, chanting his name, wishing and willing and wanting him to win. The match starts with the pair locking up and Cali taking Scar to the corner. Jaden hasn't lost his rag yet. He still looks composed. Callie takes Scar to the mat, but Scar showing he's not ready to roll around just yet, so he scuttles to the bottom rope to break the hold. He then takes a quick break on the outside to gain his composure. Scar with a less than composed demeanor right about now, nails Callie with a knee strike, then several punches in the corner. Callie returns the favor with chops, lighting up Jaden Scar. A straight kick takes the champion down, and Jaden works over Callie in the corner once more. Two head kicks take Callie's head off for the third misses and Callie decides that turnabout is fair play and kicks Scar's brain in. Callie goes up and over, ducks the line and kicks Jaden Scar into next week with a front drop kick. Then the whisper in the wind just about gets the two count early on. Scar, visibly shaken, takes another breather on the outside, but is met this time by Callie on the outside who lands a sweet looking straight punch to the challenger Jaden Scar. Jaden is then rolled into the ring and Cali climbs to the top rope, but Scar leaps to the rope to make Cali tumble down and tweak that shoulder of his which is consistently strapped up and it was the same again tonight. This allows Jaden Scar to now dissect and take apart the champion piece by piece, limb by limb, but of course making mention and notice of that left shoulder on Callie Gray. Gray tries to make a comeback, but his momentum is halted by Jaden Scar's leaping leg lariat, which knocks the champion down, but only for the two counts. Scar then gets back to picking the bones of Callie Gray, softening at that shoulder for the chicken wing later on. On the mat, Callie is then stretched by Scar, who continues to work on the left shoulder of the champion. Callie is sent into the buckle, but explodes out of the corner with a coffin drop kick, and then takes the challenger down. And with repeated shots, Cali is now trying to gain some steam and some momentum and retribution. A German suplex, a kick, and a really innovative move, which I can only really describe as a spinning sit out kind of flapjack. Loved it, however, good. That move only got the two count. Scar then counters a slam, lands on the apron. Callie knocks him down and lines up that suicide dive. But Jaden, he has done his homework and catches Callie with a kick on the outside. The pair then fights on the apron with Callie trying to nail the cemetery driver on the apron, the hardest part of the ring. The shoulder is too far worn down as Scar manages to reverse this predicament into the pedigree on the apron. And this... Creates the best chance of the match so far. But both men tumble to the ground on the outside, and you cannot win the match or the championship on the outside. So Scar rolls in grey, but Cali hangs on. Scar lands another pedigree, but Cali still kicks out. Jaden cannot believe it. He toys with Callie, mocking him, getting in his face until Cali reels back with a massive headbutt, and he headbutts Scar into next week, and the pair just drop to the canvas in unison. The ref gets to eight before they both get up. A strike-off ensues with Cali eventually coming off the better with a kick to the head. Callie tries again for the cemetery driver, but Jaden dumps Callie over his back. Scar lines up the disaster kick, but Cali counters and just Dumps Jaden Scar over the top rope, and Jaden Scar goes crumbling to the outside, falling hard on his leg. Callie then calls for the dive once again, lines it up, strikes a hole in one, a home run, a bullseye, suicide dive. Scar gets thrown into the ring, nailed with a top rope dropkick, then a modified Michinoku driver, but Scar still manages to hold on and kicks out before the referee counts to three. After trying the cemetery driver, once again, Jaden gets some wind back and then nails a trio of moves, followed by that disaster kick he was trying earlier. But Gray shows us his grit, his determination, and shows he's not ready to lie down and die just yet either. Really even stuff here at this point. Callie tries to find Solace in the corner, but Jaden Scar meets him in the corner with a knee. But then, as Jaden comes steaming in for another one, Callie dashes out of the corner and meets Jaden Scar with a knee of his own. Then, when trying to take advantage, Scar pulls the referee into harm's way, and Callie inadvertently nails the referee with a running knee and just about takes the ref's head off. Now, Scar knows exactly what he is doing. He sneaks up behind Callie and tries to lock in that cross chicken wing, but Callie counters, rolls Scar up, but the referee is nowhere to be seen. Scar kicks out, then lines up his boot and aims it directly into the ball region of the champion, crushing Callie's little black roses. Scar, he then kicks Scar then stomps Callie into the ground with a curb stomp. Then the referee crawls over for the cover. Jaden Scar has just hit Callie Gray with his best move. One, two. Th- Callie kicks out at the last microsecond and the audience erupts with a cheer. Jaden Scar cannot. Believe what just happened. He threw everything and the kitchen sink there at Cali Gray. He hit the curb stomp, the kick, he even went low. So now Jaden Scar heads over to the sound desk to find the prize that is on offer, that Falling Star Wrestling title, and he grabs the belt and intends on using it to Cali. To claim that championship. Out of nowhere, out comes Scar's former best friend and now bitter rival, Jack Landers, who snatches that belt from Scar's grasp. Callie then lines up the knee in the corner, a kick to the bollocks to Jaden Scar, and then he hooks in that cemetery driver to finish off the unstoppable Jaden Scar, who just got stopped. Callie Gray still. FSW champion Landers then hops into the ring and hands Cali the belt and the pair shake hands and this ends the show and oh boy now I don't think it's often that I come on here and gush over Cali Gray matches because normally I mean they're, they're just lazy and nothing happens but this one whew, wow obviously I'm kidding but this seriously has to go up there with one of Cali's best surely and. That's saying something because lately Callie's been having some really great bouts and if you've seen some of them, you know exactly what I mean. This match, I thought personally, and this is only my opinion, I thought this match had everything that you could want from a main event. A great baby face, check. An over heel, check. Great story, check. Lots of action, check. Selling, check. Intrigue, check. Emotion, check. Effort. Check. High spots that made sense. Check. The list could really go on. And it will. Compelling characters. Check. Believable false finishes. Double check. Stakes. Check. Audience interaction. Check. Moves and sequences that I've not seen before. Check. Heels doing heel things. Check. More story. Check. There are more points, but I mean, at this stage, it's just becoming like a YouTube list of things that happen video rather than an actual articulate review of the match at hand. So I'll get into that. So another thing that I loved about this match was the booking leading up to it. It's quite a simple story, but when you really peel back those layers, it just gets even better. So let me explain. Jaden Scar wins King of the Ring and gets to face Cali simple story. But this also mirrors and copies how Callie eventually got to the stage he is at now. Callie, of course, won the King of the Ring, then went on to win the FSW Championship at Lindsport. Jaden, he's been undefeated for the last six months, as has Cali. So, something had to give, and it could have gone either way, really. And I think both ways would have worked. If Scar would have won, I think that would have been the right choice. However, Callie won, which was also the right choice. And there's not many matches where the outcome is a positive for both characters. But this one, I think just because there's so much story involved. And then we get into the Jack Lander stuff. Obviously, Jack shares a commonality between both Jaden and Callie. There's Callie, He's kind of a friend, but it's purely based out of competition. Whereas Jack and Jaden... Absolutely hate each other. So, when Jack came down to make the save to take the championship belt away from Jaden, both literally and figuratively, it was such a simple and effective way of both keeping Jack and Jaden's story boiling, whilst also paying homage to Callie and Jack, whilst also paying off the story between Callie and Jaden in the ring at Western. Great stuff! Simple. And simple can also be used in a way that sounds bad. But I thought the simplicity of the story told at Western was a massive positive. It was simple so that new fans could understand the story. But also for people like us who are engrossed in this saga, we can do what I just did there and over-analyse the story and really start to put this puzzle together. All of that before I even talk about the immense effort that went into the match by Callie and Jaden. They just had one heck of a task to end that show, to put on a main event caliber match and also perform for 20 plus minutes in that blistering heat. How they did that, I don't know, but they pulled it off and crushed it. I loved this match because it had it all. There was not one thing missing. They covered all bases and they cover them so well. The flow to the match was superb. The timing to the match was great. The pace of the match was awesome as well. When they were going, they went at 100 miles an hour, but when it was time to slow down, Jaden would work that hold and work it, which gave the audience even more incentive to feel a part of the match and show their displeasure towards Jaden Scar. I actually don't have anything negative to say. I don't have any constructive feedback to give. I don't have any advice. I don't have anything other than praise for this match. So all I'll say is this is definitely... Jaden's best showing since turning heel back in Watlington. And I think Cali worked smart in this match as well. And he really shines when he goes up against a dastardly heel to match him. Everything was on point the moves, the callbacks, the teases, the ref bump was also really well timed. It didn't seem super obvious. And it looked like, and I've been harping on about this for months. I've been wanting for somebody to challenge Cali Gray and look like they were going to win. Jaden Scar actually looked like he was going to win and the audience bought every single bit of it. That near fall with the kick in the balls, the curb stomp, it, it just about had people ready to cry and start to pelt stuff in the middle of the ring. But when Cali kicked out, you could just hear that collective sigh of relief And that is cool, man. That's that's super cool. So to round things up and to put a bow on this podcast, this was a near-on perfect match, in my opinion. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, but you missed probably Falling Star Wrestling's match of the year so far. It was superb. Bravo, Callie. Bravo, Jaden. Bravo, Jack. Even though you didn't do much in it, Your involvement really helped elevate that match. Bravo. Great stuff. And there we have it. Another episode in the bag. Thank you for bearing with us today with our technical issues. But we got there in the end. I hope you didn't miss Jimmy too much. I know I did. Did you know that the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast comes to you for free? Like, you pay zero pounds to hear us talk about pro wrestling and bring entertainment your way. That's a great bargain, right? Well, if you feel like you're getting a good deal, why not throw us a bone? You can support the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast by doing one or all of the following things. Find us on your podcast app and hit that follow button to stay up to date with all things Falling Star Wrestling and never miss another episode. You can also leave us a positive five-star rating. That stuff really helps us grow. And you can like, follow and support Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram. Find us there at Falling Star Wrestling. Tell them your boy PVC sent you. Also, you can follow me too if you like at PVC Pro Wrestler. Don't forget about Falling Star Wrestling Summer Bash this July. We're putting on shows in Outwell, Lynn and Sutton St. James. So if you live in or near one of those towns, please take some time out of your busy schedule to watch a bit of British Pro Wrestling. The summer bash starts in Outwell on the 1st of July, then two weeks later we're in Westlyn, and then capping things off we're making our debut in Sutton St. James. It's the first time there, so make it a special night. All shows are family friendly, and a fantastic evening's entertainment. Cool. That's just about it from me, I'll see you in Outwell, if not, I'll see you at Westlyn, if not, I'll see you at Sutton St. James, right? Right? Well, if not, we'll catch you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Catch you later.